Good morning. Thank you for allowing me to ramble at you once more. Thank you so much. Now, I want to say, before I get started, two things. First up, uh, I brought my phone up here so I can keep watching the time better, because last time I went a little long. I thank you for being patient with me. I hope it wasn't too boring last time I was up here. But I also think I want to give a compliment to this church, really. Uh, I, I get the feeling that there's a true sense of equalness. I really do. And I feel as though there's a sense of the I cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. The music doesn't feel more important than the people in the back. The people in the back don't feel more important than the people that do the hospitality out in front. And I think that that is a great testimony or statement. So take with that what you want. I think it's just wonderful, really. So let's go ahead and get started because this is, I think it's the last one of the transformation series. And Teresa, in recent weeks, uh, talked about trusting God more fully. We've talked about how seeds turn into saplings, saplings into trees, trees into forests. Maturity is a massive uh, theme for transformation. And the word for transformation in the New Testament is actually the word uh, where we get metamorphosis. So it has to do with butterflies changing. It's really beautiful. So butterflies are actually a really wonderful image for what does it mean to keep being transformed. Now, the title, though, is All Things Made New, which is so cool because that's, well, actually, no, your shirt says Making All Things New, which is close enough. (laughs) But I'm so excited for this because uh, the paragraph that I'm going to show to you from the book of Acts is, I think, one of the clearest definitions of what the gospel is. And it has to do with making all things new. It's a phrase that we hear in Christian circles, but we don't, I'm not sure if we emphasize it as much as we could. Now, I was raised Lutheran down in Long Beach Island. Lutheran! Wow. Right, but but bar songs can be turned into hymns. Right, okay, okay, Luther. Um, Being transformed by the message of restoration. Being raised Lutheran, he was always working against the Catholic Church of his day, which was focusing on how you have to earn forgiveness. He's like, "Eh, that's not it. It's unconditional. That's what the whole Protestant Reformation was about. But forgiveness is actually one step on the way to restoration. Forgiveness is a part of the gospel, But that happens on the way to restoration. Does that make sense? So let's maybe think not like Luther and think more about how God desires to heal, to mend, to redeem, renew. And that's a very different emphasis, if you ask me. And I was raised Lutheran. So anyways, let's go ahead and do this. How we phrase the gospel matters. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going to go full word nerd here today. And I love words, but there's a reason for it, and I have a small story. This is something I found out this past week. Ready? I saw some clip that had a, a language researcher bring together two people into the same room, and they showed them a picture of a bridge. And they had each person describe the bridge. Okay? 
And one person said, this bridge is strong. It's dependable. It's consistent. It can hold against strong weather. The other person said that this bridge is beautiful. It's elegant. It's sleek. It's attractive. And the person was like, well, what do you mean attractive? How can a bridge be attractive? Well, the reason is because the one that said that the bridge was strong was originally Spanish-speaking and bridge is masculine. Whereas in German, where the other person was their uh, language of origin, bridge is feminine. And so the words that we use influence the way that we think. So one saw the bridge as masculine, the other as feminine. And so I'm going to go a little bit of wordplay because we're going to read a paragraph from the book of Acts and the way that we understand the words in the original languages really has nuances that really, I think, make the gospel very beautiful. And sometimes you miss it out on the English. So let's just go ahead and get into it. The book of Acts is Luke part two. Most people know that, but the thing is, it's, yes, it's the history of the very early church, the first couple of decades. It actually takes this form as everything in the edges of the world in Luke narrowed down on Jerusalem from Acts, it goes from Jerusalem back out again. And so there's kind of like a parallel arc of all of them. But what we're going to look at is something from Acts chapter 3, which is from Pentecost. So here we go. This is the paragraph that we're going to highlight. We're going to read through it, and actually what I would like to do is just highlight a number of words from this and just bring out the nuance. So today is not really like a storytelling sermon. It's going to be a Bible study of a sermon, if that's okay. Here we go. Repent then. And return to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the one who has been appointed for you, Christ Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now let's look at just a few words on there, okay? Repent. This word has so much more to do with how we think. But since it has the word pent, we think of penitentiary. We think of like a jail or a prison or punishment. Repunish yourself for the kingdom of heaven is near, is what some of us think. We hear that word and we associate it with punishment. But actually it has to do rethink. Now, I, th I, don't, I don't remember if I did this on uh, a few weekends ago. Uh, how many of you have a smartphone, right? You know how your phone has to do updates every so often? Use that understanding for this word here. Update the way you think. Rethink, reconsider. Look at this again. It's another way of thinking about the word repent that removes it from this idea of punishment. Ready? Next up. Return. This actually has to do with like a Hebrew understanding rather than a Greek understanding of repent. So Adam and Eve were where at the beginning of the Bible? It rhymes with Shmeden. You're brilliant. Way to go. You've had a good coffee. Shmeden. 
They were in, no, they were in Eden, sorry. But they left. And so the Hebrew understanding of the word repent doesn't have to do with rethink, it has to do with return. Return to your original goodness. Or we could actually go even further because in the Bible it says God looks at the world and he says it's good, 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 very good. And he says it's holy. That's for, that's for Sunday, the Lord's Day. Return to your very goodness is what this verse could also say. Rethink everything and return to your very goodness. We're, we're barely at the very start of this sentence here. How wonderful is this? Now, here we go. So that your sins may be wiped out. The word in Greek here for wiped out, it means erase. Obliterate. So that your sins may, may be obliterated. How lovely is that? Rethink everything. The kingdom of heaven is already near. Return to your original goodness so that your sins may be blotted out, obliterated, erased, wiped away, and nothing is holding you back from the abundant life that's overflowing. It's not about the abundant life in the afterlife. This is something that starts now. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This word refreshing this one's a unique one. This one's cool. Because in the Greek, the word actually means soul again. Have a new soul given to you. Rethink everything. Return to your original goodness that your sins may be obliterated and you might feel as though you have a brand new soul given to you again. How many of you have ever felt as though your interior life has become dusty, crusty, and falling apart? And all of a sudden, here's a brand new soul. Isn't that refreshing? This God's not out to punish. This God is out to restore, redeem, renew, reconcile. That he may send the one who has been appointed for you, Christ Jesus. And we all know that Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's the title. It's a title. Jesus is the Christ, right? Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now, we need to look at this word restore. And the reason is because it has to do with this picture. Ready? Wait, I got a point in the back. Didn't. No, no, no. Yeah, I made a mistake. We need to go to. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Aha. Uh-huh. So, a solar system. The word for restore here in the original language actually has to do with the moon. The moon. Because when the moon does a full orbit, and it comes back to its original position, it's restored to its first place. This word sometimes shows up again when, guess what? The wayward son comes home again. A debt has been paid. You hear what, I'm, you hear what we're getting at? 
Everything that lost the plot has found the way again. Everything that found its origin and source, its alpha in God, will find it again. And God is the omega, the source and the completion, the full orbit of coming back to God and our original condition. So one of the things that's so prevalent about being human is that we all recognize that we have limitations, we all have mistakes, all of us are simultaneously saint and sinner. You're not one or the other. Somehow you're 100% both. That's Lutheranism there. Now, we all know what it feels like to look in the mirror and not be happy with what you see because you know what you've done more than other people do. And sometimes when we fall into the same mistakes, we feel this urge of like, oh, I don't know how to get back to where I was again. How can I ever get back to my original very goodness? We all know our own sins and we all know our own mistakes and so does God, but God doesn't give up. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. So when we think about the gospel, the way we phrase it really matters. And to be honest, we will phrase it in ways that sometimes are helpful and sometimes unhelpful. Now, why do a deep dive into this passage? It's because we're shaped by the gospel that we believe in. The stories that we tell matter and how we tell them matters. The worst day of your life could also be the best day of your life, depending on how you interpret it. And you can interpret it in a way that's fully respectful of what happened and it's no longer a wall to slam into. Remember we talked about walls? We are shaped by the gospel that we believe in. In other words, your image of God shapes you. It transforms you. It can form you. And so pay attention to how you phrase the gospel even to yourself. And it's always a good idea to pay attention to what transforms us. The mold of the gospel is important if we want to get back to our original very goodness. So let's look at three pictures, and then we'll go back to Peter's uh, paragraph from Acts chapter 3, and we'll rephrase it just a little differently, okay? So I have uh, three pictures coming up. The first two... I hope they make you chuckle. And then the third one is from church history. Here we go. God is not some divine Genghis Khan who's out to obliterate you. He's not out to just sweep across the land and to do extermination. This God is about hospitality. This God is about welcome. Setting a table for the sinners not for the people that are self-righteous, right? God is not some new cosmic pharaoh. Although some of us have this understanding. God is an overbearing, top-down leadership, whereas Jesus comes along onto the scene and he takes the knee and washes disciples' feet. I don't know of any pharaoh that does that. So here is a picture from church history. 
Now this is one that I really enjoy. And you can actually get these little wooden icons that are from Amazon. Here's the thing. This is a picture of the resurrection. And this right here, you might say, I, there's way too much going on. So let's talk through just a little bit of it, right? And you might say, how is this a picture of the resurrection? It doesn't make sense because, uh, first off, I thought there were angels. There's a lot of people here. And uh, that's not how the New Testament talks about the event of the resurrection. Well, the reason is this. The very early church was illiterate. So they couldn't read these gospels. So these early icons were not trying to be historically accurate. They were trying to be theologically accurate. Okay? And so let's, let's break it down. This is going to be fun. Uh, so Jesus is the figure right there in the center. He is, this is the resurrection. He's coming up, right? What do you think are beneath his feet? Can you take a guess? What do you think are beneath his feet? I understand, yeah, there's rocks, I mean the two brown things. Wood. Wood, yeah. They're supposed to be the doors of hell. Were you? Well, you should have. You should have took the gamble. It's the gates of hell, and he's trampling them beneath his feet. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I know the, the resolution may be a little difficult, but there's these little white things beneath there and that little blue whatever beneath. Those are supposed to be keys and chains because the chains of death and Hades have been smashed to pieces because Christ has stampled, uh, trampled them. I invented a word there. Uh, there's a little brown body that you can see. It's supposed to be the personification of death and Satan is bound up in the chains that he once held everyone else. You see the little brown mush? That's good, because that means you're not threatened by death. (laughs) Okay, there you go. But it's beneath his feet, which is also a fulfillment of a, a famous psalm. Now, on the left and on the right, you see Jesus is holding two people by the hand. A dude with really long gray white hair, and it's supposed to be a woman in red on the right. Can you take a guess who they are? Jezebel. Not Jezebel, no. <laughs> not Mary. You're, you're kind of getting a little close to Mary, but not Moses. Oh, so close. It's Adam and Eve. And so Christ is pulling Adam and Eve out of their graves with him. Because the early church understood the resurrection as a rescue mission. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. Have you ever heard that verse? Yeah. There you go. Now, these other figures, do you see on the left, we've got two figures with crowns on. Who are the two most famous kings in the Old Testament? David's one. And Solomon. You nailed it. Great job. Who's this burly figure on the left with the long beard, unkept? John the Baptist, absolutely. Now, these figures on the right are a little bit more tricky. Who are the two men on the outermost right? Take a guess. Not Abraham, it's close. Let's think about New Testament people. Paul is one, and the other one also starts with the letter P. Peter, great job. Now, 
This is also tricky. We already said David, so you know that's not the answer for this one. The third figure from the right above Mary is a shepherd. Who do you think that shepherd might be? Not John. Not David. Jess is, I have no idea. Can I give you a clue? No, okay, no. Go ahead. Who are some famous shepherds in the Bible? Not Moses. Going even earlier than Moses. Abel, great job. It's Abel, the shepherd boy, because there's an element in which Jesus was brutally killed and his blood cries out for justice to happen. Now, there's still a little bit more symbolism, then we're almost done. On the left and on the right, in the backdrop, there are mountains. What do you think they symbolize? Take a guess. What are the two most important mountains in the Bible? Sinai is one. And what's the new Sinai? Golgotha. One is the mountain of law and the other is the mountain of grace. And all of the people stand beneath the covenants of those two mountains. Isn't symbolism cool? Now, here's the last one. Uh, there, there's like a shading around Jesus. You can kind of see it. The outermost is a light blue and then darker blue and then the darkest blue is closest to Jesus. Now, this is a little difficult, so I'm just going to go ahead and explain it. The early church always uh, associated light with understanding. And darkness, ready? Not with not understanding, but with mystery. Because the deeper you look into Jesus, the more mystery there is. Christ is not a mystery that's unknowable. Christ is a mystery that's endlessly knowable. Okay, Now, what I love about this picture is that within one picture, there's crammed so much symbolism, but it's a story. And remember how at the very beginning I said that the stories we tell matter and how we tell them matters because our stories shape us. Whether our parents were good or bad to us, how we interpret those events will form us, will shape us, will mold us for the rest of our life. And up here, I don't see a god like Genghis Khan. I don't see a pharaoh. I don't see a new Caesar. You can extrapolate other figures of the world today. But our view of God shapes us. How we tell the gospel to ourselves forms us, molds us, and we have to be aware that right from the start, this thing wasn't about being punished it's about being rescued from our sins, healed from them. So let's look at this paragraph one more time. And I put down some, some of the rephrasings. Rethink everything then. And return to God so that your sins may be wiped out, erased, obliterated, 
that times of resoling may come from the Lord, that he may send the one who has been appointed for you, Christ Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore all back to its original stasis, condition, as he promised long ago by his holy prophets. If you want to read some of the most hopeful passages of the Old Testament, check out Isaiah 40 to chapter 55. Because Israel was in exile. And in the midst of exile, the prophet reinterprets their story so that it's not an exile, it's an exodus. It's not, not a casting out, it's a liberation. And so for you, how do you understand the gospel? How do you understand the story of Jesus and the mission of him? Is his mission to make you feel bad about yourself for not being perfect? Or is his mission to heal and to redeem and renew, restore, rescue, repair? For me, and I'll share personally now, this paragraph reshaped the entirety of the Bible for me. Because I was raised in Lutheranism, but then I also worked for a long time in Presbyterian churches, and we have something called the lectionary which the lectionary can be one or three years, and it's pre-chosen selections from the Bible saying, after three years, you'll have a good overview of the Bible. What I was fascinated by were the passages that were left out of the lectionary, and this is one of them. You could go to church for three years in formal high church liturgy and never read this paragraph. But we're doing it here now. All right. Now, we have four minutes left to circle the plane and land this little Bible study of a sermon. In the four minutes, how about, is anyone brave enough? Can you raise your hand? What was a phrase or an idea or something from today that really stood out for you as a person? We have four minutes. Just take a moment. What was something from today that helped you to rethink, to iOS update, how you understand Christianity and how it can shape you. Anyone have any thoughts? Yes. There is a new innocence that comes again. Yes. Beautiful. Anything else? Restore back to its original condition. Why did that stand out for you? Restore back to original condition. That's right. Right, this is Peter. This is the first pope who's like, I know what the whole of the prophets say, and this is it. So don't get too stuck on Jeremiah where it talks about locusts and grasshoppers eating all the crops, okay? Because the judgment is really an assessment that happens on the way to restoration. So, 
I don't know how to land this plane right now. So let's do this. Let's just pause and take a moment. And let the grammar of this paragraph settle into your psyche. Let it start to rewire some of the ways that you think about yourself. Because sometimes we believe that we are irredeemable. Sometimes we think that we're too far gone that we can't be brought back. Sometimes we think we've lost the plot too much. So hear the good news. You are beloved infinitely. And God will never give up, never leave you, never forsake you, never leave you behind, never say you are not worthwhile of his every effort to help bring you back to health, healing, restoration, wholeness, fullness, maturity, all of the good stuff. Amen. Amen.